And I'm excited about our study today. I mean, have you ever just had one of those moments where you were just learning something about God and you just kind of like blew your mind? I just sat there in the back room as I was studying last night and my wife was out in the kitchen. I was like, wow, 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 wow. Um, and so I hope that you have one of those wow moments when, through the whole thing. But especially when we get to that part, I, I hope that it's, uh, this is just so cool. God's Word is living and it's active and it's sharper than a double-edged sword. Um, we're glad you're with us today. This is our official introduction um, to uh, the Lake Worth community and uh, the Palm Beach School for Autism. We've been here for about four weeks now, but we just now put it out into the neighborhood uh, that we are here and um, ready to serve. And that starts today. Uh, after service today, uh, we're going to have a Kona ice truck out there. We are going to have a lunch cart back there. So a lunch cart, Kona ice truck. Each kid has been given one ticket. Uh, for each thing, and then we're going to have backpacks. We've got 100 backpacks to give away uh, with school supplies. We're going to stuff those backpacks with crayons, pencils, whatever your kids need is based on uh, what grade that they're in. So we are way excited about that. Um, I was joking around with someone this week about the fact that, you know, we're going to have the Kona ice truck and we're going to, you know, we're going to have lunch cart and, and all that. And then I was like, I was kind of kidding, and I was like, we're going to have bungee jumping off the second floor of the school. And I was joking around, and someone took me serious. Uh, but, so, but I'm not going to mention any names, though I'm, it's my brother-in-law. Uh, so I can do that from up here. Uh, we do not have bungee jumping. So if you bought any of the supplies for that, um, please bring your receipt back to Walmart, and I'm sure that they will uh, return, make a full refund for that. Uh, so, no, this is going to be a good time today. Uh, we love our children's ministry. Um, we just actually, um, by the grace of God, we're, uh, we just bought a second van. Um, so we had a lot of kids in the first van today. We're just getting the other one repaired right now. Uh, I've got a couple of things that we're doing, and uh, it's something that's really important to us to, uh, to get our kids here. Where we were meeting in Calvary, Del Rey, we had a lot of kids out in in Delray and Boynton, and our thing was this, is that we didn't want to leave anybody behind. Um, this is important to us. And um, it's part of the mission of this church, and we love it. So, uh, Some ministries that we have going on through the course of the week. Uh, it's a little bit different this week, because my wife and I are away. After the event today, we go away for a week. Uh, they will still have the Young Adults Ministry, which is The Well, and that is uh, 7.30 on Monday night. And if you have any questions about that, you can pretty much see anybody in the front row, and they could probably answer that. What is the criteria to be in the, in the uh, young adults ministry? You have, to know what lit means. you have to know what the word lit means. Okay, so if you know what lit means, you can go. Um, and so that's going to be Monday night, 7.30, the well. The well is a place of refreshment in the Lord, where young adults are getting together and they're encouraging themselves in the Word of God. So we're really excited about that ministry. Wednesday night, we will not meet this week. Wednesday night, 7 o'clock, we are off this week. Uh, we resume next week our Wednesday night study, which is on um, Letters to the Church by Francis Chan. What we've been doing is we've been taking um, chapters of that book and uh, taking a Bible passage and basically taking our study that night based off of that. We've had some wonderful discussion, wonderful prayer time, worship. That resumes a week from Wednesday. Um, Sunday night through the Bible series, we are off tonight. Uh, we resume next week. That is our online study. We're going from Genesis to Revelation, Lord willing, and we do that online because uh, our heart is to teach the full counsel of God's Word. And if you haven't joined us yet, catch up over the next week. And I'll say this, 
is that we're talking about the story of Moses as he goes before Pharaoh. And God tells Moses pretty much from the beginning that Pharaoh's going to harden his heart, then God's going to harden Pharaoh's heart, and there's this whole journey that they go on, and next week we see the beginning of the plagues pretty much. Um, we looked at two of them already, but so next week it's going to be pretty uh, awesome as we continue the uh, story of Moses. So that is going to be Sunday night, um, a week from tonight. And I think that that is it. Next week's message here is going to be about forgiveness. To anybody that is struggling with a friend or a family member to forgive, anybody that's struggling to forgive themselves, it's going to be a message that you're going to want to hear. If you know somebody struggling with it, you're going to want to invite a friend because this is straight from the Word of God. We're just going verse by verse, chapter by chapter through uh, the book of Mark. And I think, uh, you know, if you, if you walk in through a study and you say, you know what, I think the pastor prepared that for me today. Well, he didn't. Um, he just prepared what was right in front of them and what came next in Scripture. And if it just so happened to speak to you, isn't it amazing how God works and how God has chosen to speak to us through His Word, by His Spirit. And so, with that said, Mark... 11 is our first passage today. Mark 11. We're going to start reading at verse 20. Now in the morning, as they passed by, now, if you remember the scene from last week that Jesus, on the way into Jerusalem, had uh, seen a fig tree that was not producing fruit, he cursed it, then he went to the temple, turned the tables over, and now, um, it's now in the morning, as they passed by, they saw the fig tree dried from the roots. Peter said, remember, Rabbi, look, the fig tree which you cursed has withered away. So Jesus answered and said to them, have faith in God. For assuredly I say to you, whoever says to this mountain, be moved and be cast into the sea, and does not doubt in his heart, but believes that those things he says will be done, he will have what he says. Therefore I say to you, whatever things you ask, and you will have them. And whenever you stand praying, if you have anything against anyone, forgive him that your Father in heaven may also forgive you your trespasses. But if you do not forgive, neither will your Father in heaven forgive your trespasses. Father, we thank you. No matter what has happened through the course of a week, here we are. And you are great. And you are glorious. And you are mighty, mighty to save us. And you gently bring us along, Father, through our struggles so that we find ourselves in this place today with the assurance, God, that because we're looking to you, you will indeed speak. And quite honestly, Yours is the voice we need to hear. So may everything else be silenced. And may you speak into the heart of your servants. In Jesus' name.
Amen. Living in Florida, one of my favorite things to do in the morning is to take a blanket, bathing suit, a Bible, a book to read in, and a bottle of water. Yeah, I know they all started with B. It's a pastor thing. All right, that's just the way we think sometimes. But to take these things to go out to the ocean and to just sit there and read the Word and meditate on God. And it's a place that I feel close to God. His presence, His person, His power. There we go with the P words now. All right, and sometimes as I'm sitting there, when I go out to the ocean and it's calm, I'm like, wow. This is peace. And I'm reminded of the peace of God. But then on those other mornings where the waves are crashing against the shore, then kind of what I'm thinking of is, wow, the massive, mighty power of God. It's kind of like when you go out there, it's like the best of when you think of creation. There are so many amazing spectacles when you look at this world. And if you look at any of those uh, National Geographic channels, you know, and they show like the waterfalls, or they show the ice caps, and, and they show these amazing things. But here's one spectacle that we do not get to see in Florida. The spectacle that we do not get to see in sunny South Florida, that we have less exposure to of God's creation, are the mountains. No, the trash piles don't count. Okay, those don't count. But we don't get to see the mountains. And perhaps if you've been to a mountain, pictures of mountains, words that come to mind, well, the first thing that we think of is the beauty. Beauty of the mountains. God's creation. We can take a look and we can say, wow, I've got a friend that just went to Alaska on a cruise and pictures of these snow mountains. Wow, how massive and how beautiful. Uh, the majesty of the mountain. And we've all sung when we were kids, America is beautiful. We think of that line that says, purple mountains, majesty. Or the immensity of a mountain. How massive they are. The Mount Everest is 5.5 miles high. And if you have a hard time picturing that, all you have to do, if you take a right off out of the school onto Lantana Road and drive all the way to Congress Avenue, that's how big Mount Everest is. That's 5.5 miles. All right? 5.5 miles almost exactly. That's how high Mount Everest is. And we think, wow, that's amazing. But also when we think of mountains, we think of mystery. And we think of power. In the early cultures, what they thought of was that their gods were They were living on those mountains, and they were just full of mystery. Mount Olympus perhaps comes to mind. But here's another thing that we think of when we think of mountains. Even from the early cultures, whenever the word mountain is mentioned, it evokes a metaphor for life's barriers, challenges, and obstacles. That reaches into today. That's something that has always been thought of through the cultures when a mountain was thought of, life's barriers, obstacles, and the challenges that we go through. So maybe you are here and at one time, some of you have looked and you've said, you know what, I have a mountain of wash. Anybody here ever have a mountain of wash to do? Or if you're in school, you've had a mountain of homework. Or, huh, we love this one, uh, we're going to do our bills. You've got a mountain of bills in front of you. So a mountain of bills, a mountain of laundry, a mountain of homework. You're going through relational challenges, and it looks like it's a mountain to you. You're going through health challenges. It's a mountain. 
There may be somebody in here today that has some kind of a mountain that they're looking at and they're saying, wow, this sure looks impossible and I don't know what to do. I don't even know where to begin climbing because not only is it the mountain of bills, not only is it the mountain of work, not only is it the mountain of housework, but some of you have the whole thing, the whole enchilada you got. And you're wondering, where do we even begin at this moment? And yet in overcoming obstacles, here's the neat thing is that what we're going to look at today when we talk about mountains, that overcoming these obstacles, the barriers, and the challenges, the solution is found in the greatest mountain climbing expedition that has ever taken place. And that is Jesus' ascension up Mount Calvary to carry the cross, to carry your sins, to be crucified, and to gain us deliverance. No, you thought I was going to say probably the greatest mountain expedition, climbing expedition ever undertaken was Everest? No way. No way. If you understand, if we understand what Jesus did on the cross, then we understand that His ascension up Mount Calvary, that that is indeed the greatest mountain climbing expedition. And it's because of that one mountain climbing expedition that the sin and separation that we had with God, well, that is eclipsed the moment that we repent of our sins, go to the cross, and claim our sonship. And we acknowledge at that moment that we are indeed children of God. And yet, Jesus offers, while He's living and while He's ministering, He offers these teachings on mountains that kind of blow our minds. Think about the things that He said. In Matthew 17.20, He said, if you have the faith of a mustard seed, thank you. If you have the faith of a mustard seed, you can move a mountain and nothing will be impossible to you. Wow. And then in the passage today, He says, if you speak to this mountain, you'll cast it and put it into the sea. And we find some of these teachings confusing. And we'll talk about why in a couple of minutes. But what we also see from Genesis to Revelation is almost like a full mountain theology, if you think about it. Mountains are talked about in a lot of different places. And in the same places, and I think that this is where the key and the clue to climbing our mountains are found, when we take a look from Genesis to Revelation with the mountains that are mentioned, what we find is that there are places where great challenges lead to great deliverance. Let me give you a few examples. Uh, Some of you here have heard of a man named Noah. And, And after the flood, the ark landed on a mountain, on Mount Ararat, right? And so after the flood, after the great challenge, well, there's a mountain in which was one great deliverance. But there's also uh, the story, if you remember, of Abraham, who carried his son up to Mount Moriah thinking that he was going to have to sacrifice his son, but believing in the power of resurrection, he brings his son up there, and as he raises the knife, uh, the angel of the Lord, Jesus, comes, and he says, don't harm the lad, which is kind of cool, because the angel of the Lord in the Old Testament we know to be Jesus. So the very one that's going to be crucified on the same mountain says, Abraham, you don't have to do that, because he himself is going to be the sacrifice. And again, we see a place of deliverance in the book of Genesis. But if that's not good enough, well, maybe we take a look at the book of Exodus where Moses has an encounter with God on the mountain. He sees a burning bush, and then he goes back up to the mountain, and when he goes up to Mount Sinai, he has the Ten Commandments delivered to him. And so special things happen on mountains. In the book of 1 Kings, we see also with Elijah going up and defeating the prophets of Baal on a mountain. Another mighty victory on a mountain. But again, all of these 
victories, all of these deliverances, all of these provisions made on mountaintops, they start with a challenge. And it's because of that that no matter what mountain you're up against today, we can have victory because they all point to the deliverance of one mountain. And that was the mountain that Jesus went to and took our sins. And because of that, we say, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. So if you're struggling with that today, let's say that out loud together. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. Now, it's easy for us to say it when we're in a struggle. The real question is this, is do we believe it? Do we believe it? It's easy for me when I'm going through a battle to quote a verse, and I do it, all right? But quoting the verse is much different than quoting it and believing the verse. Sometimes I have to quote the verse and say, God, help me to believe it. I believe, Lord, but you please help me in my unbelief. And so today's message, we've titled, uh, How to Move a Mountain Without Really Trying. And the reason that we titled that is because God has already done all the heavy lifting. And if you realize that you're here today and you're not having to fight for victory, you're not having to wake up and say, oh, I've got such a battle in front of me today and I'm going to scrap and I'm going to claw and I'm just going to make it through. You are made for more than that. You are made to more, to more than just survive. Okay? Because of the cross, you live in victory. We keep forgetting. We keep forgetting. And so... Before we jump into our passage, just a little review of last week. So Jesus and the boys, they're walking, and uh, it's verse, uh, I think, 12, where it says, when they had come out of Bethany, uh, Jesus was hungry, seeing from afar a fig tree having leaves. He went to see, perhaps, if he would find something on it. When he came to it, he found nothing. Uh, his response, it says, let no one eat of this fruit from you ever again. All right, and we talked last week about how, like, sometimes when we're hungry, how, anybody hungry right now? Does anybody get irritable when they're hungry? We talked about that last week. If you get irritable when you're hungry, that's not what happens here. Okay, just forget it. That's not Jesus. He's not irritable, hungry, saying, you know what, this tree stinks, and I'm just going to curse it, and then we're going to move on. Now he goes and sees the temple and all the things that are happening there, and he says, you know what, I'm so frustrated, I'm just going to turn the tables over because of the stuff they're doing. That's not Jesus. Everything he does is with meaning and with purpose. And so when he curses the fig tree, it's for a reason. Because it appears, because of its leaves, that it should be having fruit, that it should have fruit on it, but it doesn't. And it's the same thing with the temple. That's what we discussed last week. Do you remember? It's like the temple was supposed to be this place of relationship and the things where we focus on the things of eternity and the things of God. And instead, people have exchanged that. And now instead, when they go into the temple, there's this great exchange going on. They're selling and making money off the temple sacrifices. They're selling doves and pigeons and lambs. They're selling these things for sacrifices. And now the temple, which was supposed to be a place where they thought of uh, eternity, now they're thinking of things that are temporary. The things that were supposed to be focusing on the spiritual, now they're focused on the things of the physical. And the things that were supposed to be heavenly, well, now they're focused on the things of the earth because it's a place not where they're having commu communion with God and, and conversation with God. It's a place where they're buying and selling. And we discussed last week how we're kind of doing that today, sometimes in the church, when it becomes very uh, consumer-minded, very commercial. Listen, what do you need to be a church? You need God's Word, you need God's Spirit, and you need God's people. I think we fit the bill. But that's what you need to be the church of Jesus Christ. That's why He turned the tables over, because it became something better. 
But now we see as we look at today's passage in verse 20, it says, Now in the morning, as they passed by, they saw the fig tree dried up from its roots. Peter, remembered, said, remembering, said, Rabbi, look, the fig tree which you cursed has withered away. Here's why this is astounding. Now you're looking at that and you're saying, well, it's not a big deal. I mean, he cursed the fig tree. They went by the next morning. The fig tree died. Why is this such a big deal? Here's why it's such a big deal. Because they saw him raise the dead. They saw him calm storms. Right? They saw him perform miracles that nobody else could perform. And now Peter's saying, wow, the fig tree died. Just like when you cursed it. Why are you guys shocked at this? And so his response becomes this. Jesus answers them and he says, have faith in God. Verse 22. And you see, that's really what we're going to be talking about today. Faith in God. When we're told to have faith in God, faith is crucial to understand. Everybody in this room has faith. How many of you sat on a squeaky chair this morning? Most of you that came. All right? All right. You had faith in the chair. Okay? You had faith in that chair. Some of you have more faith than others. Some of you perhaps went and you're like, okay, these things squeak a lot, so I think I'm going to... Okay. Okay. All right. It works. All right. You know, so, so we sit... So you have faith. You exercise at the moment that you sat in the chair. Did anybody take a medication this morning? Did anybody take a medication? If you took a medication this morning, anybody watch... Uh, who was making that medication when they put it in the pill bottle? Anybody was able, anybody able to see that? No? Okay, then you exercise faith when you put that in your mouth and swallowed it and thought it was going to help you. Okay, what about riding in an airplane? How many of you have ever gone up to the pilot and said, listen, I want to see your credentials before we take... No. You heard of Delta, which means don't ever leave the airport. Uh, <laughs> you heard of Delta. You heard of United. You heard of these airlines. They say, okay, they have a reputation. I don't hear about many crashes. All right, it was a leap of faith. But here's the thing, when it comes to faith, now faith, when we define it, just faith in general, it means trustworthiness or confidence in something or someone. So you all have faith in something. You all have faith in someone, alright? But here's the thing, the greater the stakes are, the greater the faith is called for. Think about it like this, alright? If you have hurt your arm, alright, and there's a wound on your arm, you go to the doctor to get it bandaged, alright, you have faith that he's going to take care of you. Now, does that take more or less faith if your appendix ruptures and you have to go in for surgery? Now, does that take more or less faith when somebody's going to perform heart surgery or brain surgery? You see, as the stakes are getting higher, the more faith it takes on your part to put your trust in somebody, to put your trust in, in someone. It's proportional. So now think about this. When we're talking about the things of eternity, the stakes have never been higher. Oh, come on, you want to do your research to say, well, I think I'm going to use the telephone. I think I'm going to go T-Mobile instead of Sprint, instead of AT&T. All right, I'm going to put my faith in this company. And you'll do more. A lot of people will do more research on that than they will where they're going to spend eternity. And that's insanity. And still, if you come into this it doesn't matter. It doesn't matter who you have. Verizon, AT&T, there's almost no signal. All right, so good luck with that. All right, so you do all your research only to come here and say, you know what, it really doesn't matter anyway. But listen, when it comes to faith in God, 
faith defined for the Christian where the stakes are really, really high. Confidence in the trustworthiness of God. It is the conviction that what He says is true and what He promises will come to pass both here and now and into eternity. Let me read that again. Now this is faith defined. And there's a reason we get confidence in the trustworthiness of God. Do you trust God? I'd like to say yes. I'd like to say yes in every situation. But let me tell you something and let's be clear. You'll tell by my actions and my words and how they work together whether or not that's true. Confidence in the trustworthiness of God. It is the conviction that what He says is true and what He promises will come to pass both here and now and into eternity. Charles Stanley says it like this. The Bible says it. I believe it. And that settles it. Game, set, match, God. Now, a lot of people look at Hebrews 11.1 1, and they say, well, that's the definition of faith. No, that is not the definition of faith. It's more of a description of what faith does. Listen, Hebrews 11.1 1 reads like this. It says, faith is the substance of things hoped for, evidence of things not seen. That's the New King James Version, but let's listen to it in the Message for a moment. In the Message Bible, it says, the fundamental fact of existence is that this trust in God, this faith, is the firm foundation under everything that makes life worth living. It's our handle on what we can't see. That's kind of cool, isn't it? Bible commentator William McDonald puts it like this, it makes things hoped for as real as if we already had them. And of course, one of my personal favorites, Dr. Tony Evans, says it like this, and I'm not going to try to talk like him. Faith! No. <laughs> faith, faith is acting like something is so, even when it is not so, in order that it might be so, simply because God said so. And let's say that again. Faith is acting like something is so, even when it is not so, in order that it might be so, simply because God said so. Man, if we were living in faith, you're saying, oh, I'm already kind of feeling challenged. I hope so. Do you know that the Bible says this? It says without faith, it is impossible to please God. It's impossible to please God without faith. And so as Christians, we walk by faith and not by sight. But how many of you as a Christian have sometimes been accused, because the church often is, of having blind faith? Blind faith. Or what that is, is that, okay, blind faith is something, that's where it's like, okay, well, you don't know who you're putting your trust in and you're going anyway. That's not the Christian, Okay. Let me explain to you what blind faith looks like. Blind faith is a naive 25-year-old that's living in Manhattan that's going home one night and a man approaches him that I've never met and the man's got a bag. And the bag, he's got, he's got this bag and he says, my man, come here. And I'm like, all right. He's like, I've got a brand new video camera in here. Now, this is a time when those video cameras were about the size of your Toyota. All right, these gigantic video cameras. This guy's got the video camera. He's got it in plastic wrap. There's a receipt wrapped on it. And he's got this bag. He's like, the cops are coming for me. And he goes, and, and I need to offload this right now. He goes, I'll give it to you for $200. It's $500 camera, man. $500 camera? $200? Now, I didn't have that kind of cheddar on me. But I did say to him, I was like, okay, well, you know, I, no, I don't think I can do this. 
I'll give it to you for 200, uh, to, for 150. I was like, all right, well, I don't have that on me. 75, I'm thinking 75, I'm pretty awesome. <laughs> 75, all right, let me, uh, let me give it to you. Now, I had more than that on me, so I turn around and I count up the 75. I give him the $75, and I got myself a new JVC video camera. I, I take it up to my apartment, to the 11th floor of my apartment, and I'm kind of strutting up there like John Travolta in Saturday Night Live with the paint cans. And I'm going up there, and I've got this, I've got this camera, and now I shake it, and I kind of hear liquid. And I'm thinking, okay, that's interesting. But maybe it's like this new type of uh, video camera. I don't know. Uh, so I'm shaking the thing, and now I open it. It's wrapped, whatever is in there is wrapped in newspaper. And I'm like, okay, well, usually they do like bubble wrap and there's nice packaging and whatnot. And so when I remove the newspaper, what I find is a Gatorade bottle, one of the big ones. <laughs> and it's full of water, not even real Gatorade in it, okay? So I just spent $75 on a bottle of water in a Gatorade bottle. Now that's blind faith. I didn't know this man, not from Adam, not from anyone. I just thought, okay, well, you know what? I took a leap of faith, $75. I'm out 75 bucks. All right? I never found the guy, and I did look for him that night. Okay? <laughs> I was walking with Jesus. So I, I went on a little hunt for my man, and uh, I just lost that money, and that was a write-off. That's blind faith. But when it comes to your faith, listen, when it comes to the things of heaven, it says... Faith, it demands the surest evidence in the universe and it finds it in the Word. It's not blind faith at all. Okay? It demands the surest evidence in the universe and finds it in the Word of God. The Bible tells us that faith comes by hearing. Right? And hearing comes from the Word. So when you're struggling with your faith, it's a good thing to get back to the Word. All right? If any of you have struggled in your actions and it's coming out in any way, shape, or form, it's manifesting anyway, what we need to do as Christians, we need to get back to the Word, remember who He is, remember who we are, remember what He desires of us. It's been well said when it comes to faith, it is not limited by possibilities, but it invades the realm of possibilities. How many of you have had those moments where you're like, well, this is my only option. I've got to do this, or I've got to do this. All right? And what we stopped taking into consideration was Him. We only saw A or B, and God had this whole other configuration of something He was going to do. McDonald also says, faith begins where possibilities end. If it is possible, then there is no glory for God in it. So here's the good news. If today you're finding yourself in a situation that's somewhat impossible, it's God time. It's God time because this is where He does His best work and this is where He creates His masterpieces. So our faith is not blind faith. It's not based off of our circumstances. It's not based off of our interactions with other people. Our faith is in a person. His name is God. And when you're struggling with the faith, to listen to what God says in your struggle. Now, in John 14, the disciples, they were troubled. Jesus had told them that He was going to the cross. And they said it repeatedly. And they didn't fully understand. All they knew was that something was going down. And by John 14, Jesus says to them, this is what He speaks to them, let not your heart be troubled. When the heart is troubled, what are we struggling with? Faith. Let not your heart be troubled. What does He say? Believe in God. Believe also in Me. Believe. 
That's the answer. That's the answer to the struggle. John the Baptist, when he was in prison, and I just want to read this. I'm not going to ask you to turn there, but it's Matthew 11. It says here, Now it came to pass when Jesus finished commanding His twelve disciples that He departed from there to teach and preach in their cities. And when John had heard in prison about the works of Christ, he sent two of his disciples and said to him, Are you the coming one, or do we look for another? All right, so what's happening with John in prison? Having a little bit of a faith struggle? It kind of seems like that, right? And yet Jesus said, Among men there's no one greater than John the Baptist. But even John the Baptist struggled with his faith. This is what Jesus does. Jesus sends a message back to John the Baptist, and he says, Man up. No. He says, Just believe, man. No. This is Jesus' message to John the Baptist when he's struggling with his faith. He said to them, Go and tell John the things which you hear and see. Oh, it's not blind faith. It's not blind faith at all. The blind see, the lame walk, the lepers are cleansed, and the deaf hear. The dead are raised up, and the poor have the gospel preached to them. And blessed is he who is not offended because of me. And what is Jesus doing there? He's giving John Scripture. The Scripture is matching up with the events. Here's your confidence back, John. The confidence is coming through hearing the Word. The living Word, the written Word. There it is. Where's your struggle? It's not a blind faith at all. So uh, God has given us several things, equipped us in necessary ways. One, you can go outside again. You can look at those mountains. And though maybe you're going right now, you can look at pictures of mountains for Floridians. You can go to the ocean or something like that. You can go to creation. And when you look at creation, hopefully you say, you know what? If that's not God, I don't know what is. And again, there's confidence that if God orchestrated things like that, if He put the sun and moon in place and all the stars and He knows them by name, and He did all that out of nothing, I'm pretty sure He's got my situation under control. But if I'm struggling with that, then perhaps what I need to do, I I need to always open up the Word again. And what it's going to do is it's going to remind me that there's nothing that I've been through, nothing that I'm going through that has not been addressed in Scripture. There's not. But what I also have is this. The family of Christ. And when we're struggling, when you're struggling to hold your arms up, you have the family of Christ to hold up. When your faith is weak, and you have people whose faith is stronger helping you up, and the circle rises. That's how it works. God's given us everything that we need. Alright, you're struggling with finances. All of a sudden you're reading that passage where uh, they're talking about under control all right you know i'm sitting there and i'm saying okay well uh i'm struggling with financial provision i'm struggling with health there's there's nothing that's an address in scripture but i sometimes forget because of the size of my circumstance and the size of my mountain and what i need to do is i need to get back to the word because what i found is this is that i'm putting my faith in the outcome of the circumstance that i want I want it to turn out like this, and that's what my faith is, and then my faith is only so strong as how my situation turns out. And if my situation doesn't turn out right, if it doesn't turn out the way that I thought, then it's got to be God, and then my faith is only as great as my God is, as my situation is. That's not your faith. Do you want me to show you how it works? I'm taking a walk the other morning with my son. 
And we're doing these prayer walks now, 5 o'clock, 5.30 in the morning. And John John gets up, and he's a little bit irritable at 5.30. I said, are you coming? Yes, I'm coming. Okay, we're going to go worship God. Okay, Dad, let's go. All right, and so now, 5.30 in the morning, we're walking through the dark neighborhood, and he's got this little light that I bought for us around his neck, and we've got our Bibles, and we're talking, and we're praying. And he looks at me at one point in the walk, and he says, Dad, I'm going to be 100% honest. I said, I have no idea where we are, he said. I said, are you afraid, son? He said, no, Dad, I'm not afraid because you know where we are. Boom. He says that, and guess what? The little dude's ministering to me. Right? And it's like, no, but I know where we are. If I can only say that to my Heavenly Father, hey, listen, you know what? I'm lost in the sauce right now. I'm walking. I'm struggling. I have no idea what comes next, but that's okay because you do, and I trust you because you love me enough to send your son to die on a cross. What's your struggle again? There it is. This is God, man. And so, all right, we got through one verse. Have faith in God. <laughs> oh, there's more, there's more. <laughs> have faith in God. Listen, as you read the book, what you find out is this. is not everybody's situation in that book turns out probably the way that they want to. There's a part in the book of Acts where James and Peter are in prison. James gets martyred. Peter gets delivered. We don't know why. My faith is in this, is that not everybody is going to have deliverance from persecution. Not everybody may receive physical healing, but my faith is in the fact that he can deliver everyone from their persecution. My faith is, because of this book, in the fact that everyone could be healed. He can heal anyone, anybody, anytime, in any place. That's my faith in him. But the faith is not going to disappoint me. All right, if I keep praying for my daughter to be healed from autism, it's not going to disappoint me if, if she doesn't because I trust that what he deems is more important than the outcome that I desire because he loved me enough to send his son to die on a cross for me and nobody else loved me enough to do that. But he did. So I know he has my best interest in mind even if I don't understand it. So I say, God, I don't know where we are. And he says, are you afraid? My answer has to be no, because you know where I am. And you know what I'm going through. So it's who we have our faith in. But when we have our faith in, we're going to know what to ask him to. One of the reasons why we struggle to see our prayers answered is because we're not asking according to his will. We're asking according to our desire. And so often they're not lined up. Listen to what Jesus says. He says, have faith in God. That's his answer to them. All right, now again, consider the context of this. This just kind of blew me away. When you consider the context, they've just come off of a place where Jesus did the only two destructive things you ever see him do in ministry. He curses a fig tree and dies. He goes and he turns the table over in the temple, right? And now he says, have faith in God. For surely I say to you, Whoever says to this mountain, be removed and cast into the sea and does not doubt in his heart, but believes that those things he says will be done, he will have whatever he says. Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, let me ask you something. In any of those books, for what you're familiar with or the teachings that you've heard, do you see anywhere in Matthew, Mark, Luke, or John, do you see Jesus take a mountain and physically cast it into the water? Does anybody see that? Okay, cool. 
So you're with me so far. In the book of Acts, when you look at the book of Acts, do you see Peter, James, John, the disciples haphazardly just saying, okay, you know what, I'm a little frustrated today. Mountain, sea, go. No, you don't see that. You don't see mountains just haphazardly being cast into rivers and lakes and oceans. So what is he talking about? found this interesting. Because when I studied it, I'm like, all right, he's being very clear with them right here. And the disciples don't question him. And yet we never see them do something like that. And the scripture came to mind, and if you'd like to turn there with me, please do. Now again, I'm 47 years old. I've seen a lot of amazing things in my life. I've seen Hulk Hogan beat Andre the Giant. I saw that, okay? I saw the Eagles beat the Patriots. All right, I'm sorry about that. Uh, I have, in 1986, I New York Mets beat the Boston Red Sox. I've seen some amazing things in my life, but I've never seen a mountain cast into the sea. Now listen, it's Revelation 8. Seven. These are the trumpets of judgment. Verse 7, Revelation 8 says this, The first angel sounded, and hail and fire followed, mingled with blood, and they were thrown to the earth. And a third of the trees were burned up, and all green grass was burned up. This is what blew me away. You ready? Alright, Revelation 8, 8. Then the second angel sounded, Stop there. Mountain thrown into the sea. You see, Jesus was just talking about the judgment of the fig tree, and it was prefiguring the judgment on the temple and the religious establishment with the temple being taken down in AD 70. And here he says that a mountain is going to be thrown into the sea with the second judgment, and here's what we have. All right, just because it hasn't been done doesn't mean he can't do it or he won't do it. As a matter of fact, he does do it, and he does it in the book of Revelation, so he does it at the right time. All right? And so when we're asking according to his will, here's what you know. Because you know what's important to God is exhibited on the cross. All right? What does, when we look at the cross of Jesus Christ as a Christian, what is communicated to you as to what is important to God? People. People. Right? So it doesn't matter if I'm sitting there saying, oh God, oh, I just want to see a mountain move. Why do I want to see a mountain move? So he can prove his power? Is that why I want to see the mountain move? He doesn't need to prove that to me because He sent His Son to die on a cross. And it says if you have the faith that can move mountains, but you don't have love, you've got nothing. So when we're in tune with the person of God, then we're asking according to His will. It's not time for the mountains to be moved and thrown into the sea. But when it is, we'll ask for it, and it'll happen at the right time for the right reason. But it's going to happen during a time of judgment. But here's the thing, if I'm in tune with Him and if I'm worshiping Him, then what I'm going to be praying for, I'm going to be praying for other mountains to move. I'm going to be praying for a tax collector to come down from a tree. That's the kind of mountain, that's a mountain to move, right? I'm going to be praying for a prostitute that is struggling to come to me and now she's on her face and I say, go and sin no more. Okay, Jesus. I'm going to pray for mountains to move. I'm going to pray for a guy named Peter, the rock. I'm going to pray for him. 
And this fisherman, this arrogant fisherman, this zealful fisherman, I'm going to soften his heart. He's going to become one of the greatest servants the world has ever known. You want to see a mountain moved? Look at Saul of Tarsus. Saul of Tarsus is a mountain. That's a mountain. That's the thing that's important to God. And these are the mountains that we need to be asking for to move. I've sat there just like some of you have. And I've taken my keys and I've said, you know what, Lord? Okay. It's you and me. There's nobody else around. All right. God, move it. Just an inch. Move it. Nobody else will see this. It'll just be a little bit of proof. Why am I asking? I'm testing him. What's the heart behind my asking? I'm testing him. I'm going to pick those up because if anybody that knows me knows that I'll be later, I'm going to be looking around the church. Has anybody seen my keys? All right, and we don't want to do that. Uh, but you get the point. All right, why we're asking for the things that we're asking, are we in tune with the relationship and the things that he prioritizes, we prioritize. Sometimes my prayer list looks like a shopping list. When if I get the story right and I see what he's really doing, then I'm going to start praying differently. I might not pray for someone to be healed. I might pray, God, if He puts it on my heart, Lord, let the illness result in them going to their knees and saying, I need You. I need You. Every hour, I need You. That's a mountain move. The Bible tells us the story of a man named Naaman. He was a leper. And Naaman had, in his leprosy, he goes to see the prophet. And when he knocks on the prophet's door, the prophet sends somebody else out to answer him. Naaman gets all disturbed and he gets all bothered and he gets all angry and he walks away. And he says, you know what? You know, the, pro the prophet didn't even come out to see me himself. So what I'm going to do, I'm just going to walk away. I'm not going to get the healing. Well, Naaman's servant comes to him and he says, listen, if you walk away right now, you're going to miss your healing because of your pride. See, the mountain for Naaman wasn't the leprosy at all. It was the pride of his heart. God knows your deepest need, and that's the thing that He's working on. So we're asking according to His will, but here's the thing. When you're asking according to His will, you have to know His person. When I go to the store to buy my wife flowers, I know what kind of flowers she likes. When I'm in the car listening to music, I know what kind of music she likes. Why? Because I have relationship with her. I know it's not her will for me to watch this. I know it's not her will for me to listen to this. When I spend time with him in his word, that's how the faith comes by hearing, and the hearing comes from the word. And so you're sitting here today and you're saying, Well, you know what? Got some mountains. They ain't moving. I want to take a look at a few quick reasons as to why they don't move. When Jesus, and a part of it is it's, it, as Jesus addresses this, he says, have faith in God, for as assuredly I say to you, whoever says to First thing there. Who's he speaking to? The mountain. Many of you have spoken to your mountain lately. All right, so that's the first reason, okay? We took the wrong approach to the mountain. That's the first reason. We were telling God how big our mountain is. David does that a lot in the Psalms. But so often we're just sitting there and we're telling Facebook, oh, I'm going through it and I'm struggling and I'm just going and we go to social media and we go to our friends, oh, I'm battling and I just want, I kind of want your sympathy. I want you to feel bad for the things that I'm going through. But according to Scripture, 
speak to the mountain. We tell God how big our mountain is. We need to start, and you've heard this before, it's cliche, I know, but let's go with it. Start telling your mountain how big your God is. Speak to the mountain. You need to speak to the mountain. But Pastor John, if I do that, people are going to think I'm crazy. You're a Christian. That's okay. You know, <laughs> they think we're crazy anyway. You watch any of the crime shows, you know, it's always the Christian that did it now. Okay, so they think you're crazy anyway. I know that when I'm walking around the neighborhood and I'm kind of singing to God in the morning, I know that people are looking like, okay, what's wrong with this guy? What looks more insane than praying does? Honestly, what are you doing? You're sitting there talking to someone or something, you, someone that you can't see. All right, so the solution... Now, the first, if you took the wrong approach to the mountain, well, what we need to do is we need to start talking to the mountain about our God. I have him, and some of the counseling that I do, I have people write letters to their mountain just telling them about how wonderful and how massive and how big their God is. So one, we took the wrong approach to the mountain. That's one reason that our mountains aren't moving. Here's two. When we asked him to move it, the motive wasn't pure. And it's just like we said with the keys, or saying, listen, God, move the mountain. Well, why do I want him to move it? Well, because I want to see his power. No. A lot of the times I'm asking for the things I'm, I want to see happen. James 4.3 says it like this, you ask and you do not receive because you ask wrongly to spend it on your passions. So what is the solution to that? If you delight yourself in the Lord, He's going to give you the desires of your heart. Your passions on your heart will be based off of something He gave you. Then you're going to be asking according to His will. Right? So when we ask Him, our motive wasn't pure. So that's one reason the solution is to confess our motives. is being impure sometimes. Confess, take inventory, and ask God to purify our motives. Number three. Here's another reason that we don't see the mountains move. We try to lift them ourselves. Oh, I say I want God to lift them. I'll sing in church that I want God to lift them. I'll say, Savior, you can move the mountains. My God is mighty to save. He's mighty to save. And I'm saying, God, from my knees, I'm giving this to you. But as I'm getting up off my knees, I'm taking it back and I'm looking for my own resources to move the mountain. I'm calling. I'm looking for connections. I'm trying to move the mountain my way. So I say I want God to do it, but I'm really doing it myself. It's the same as the story as the young boy. Uh, he's five years old, and he's sitting there in his sandbox, and the father puts a, a big rock there, and the kid can't play with his toys because the rock is there. And he does everything he can. He makes a little lever out of his shovel. He tries to push it, and he just sits there utterly dejected. Finally, he goes, the father goes to him, and he says, What's wrong, son? He goes, I can't move the rock. He said, Did you do everything you could? And the kid said, yes, Dad, I did everything I could. And the father said, no, you didn't. And the father got up, and he picked the rock up, and he moved it so that the kid could play. And the moral to the story was this, is that he didn't use everything at his disposal because his father's right there, and he never asked him. Trying to move the rock ourselves. Number four, just a couple more quick ones um, as to why the mountain might not be moving. You never asked to see if this was a mountain God wanted moved. You're sitting there trying to move the mountain, but you haven't aligned yourself with God. You're saying, oh God, I need this mountain moved. And he's, he's like saying, okay. Is this the mountain that, that, uh, that you're supposed to be moving? Listen, David tried to move a lot of mountains that God never asked him to. And when he did, he always got to be King David, if you look in Scripture. But when it says David inquired of the Lord, God, should we go up and should we take this? Yeah, go ahead and take it. 
He's operating in God's power. Number five, there might be a character issue blocking the flow. Now, we're going to talk about forgiveness next week, but here's one thing where in, in verse 25 it says, whenever you stand praying, if you have anything against anyone, forgive him that your Father in heaven may also forgive your trespasses. Sometimes it's a lack of obedience to God and doing what He says to do. One of those things being forgiveness and displaying His character because I'm not displaying His character. His power is not flowing through me the way that He desires it to. And so there's the mountain. I'm supposed to move the mountain, but the problem is this, is that because of my disobedience and because of my lack of character, I'm blocking what He desires to do. Number six, you were at the wrong mountain. You were just at the wrong mountain. All right? Anybody here that's ever been familiar with the Pink Panther series, Inspector Clouseau, there's a classic scene in one of the movies where Clouseau goes up to a desk clerk and there's a dog right by the desk and he looks at the desk clerk and he says, does your dog bite? And the guy says, no, my dog does not bite. And Clouseau bends over and he goes, oh, nice dog. Ugh. And so he goes to pet the dog and the dog bites him and he goes, oh, because I thought you said your dog did not bite. And the desk clerk looks at him and he says, that's not my dog. The point being this, is that so often we're at the wrong mountains. Listen, if you want to know what mountains you're supposed to be moving, you have to have relationship. You have to ask Him, God, do you want this mountain moved? And the last thing, number seven, why our mountain isn't moving is because it isn't really a mountain at all. And you won't know that until you worship Him. It wasn't a mountain at all. You made it into a mountain. How many of you have been accused of ever making a mountain out of a molehill? All right? And so how many times have we done that? And one thought snowballs into a hundred thoughts. And if we would have just taken one thought captive, we would have done so much better. Closing you today with the story of a man who was sleeping at night in his cabin. And as he was sleeping in his cabin, uh, the Savior appeared. And when the Savior appeared, the Lord told the man he had work for him to do, and he showed him a large rock in front of his cabin. And the Lord explained that the man, listen, was to push against the rock with all his might. This the man did day after day. For many years he toiled from sun up to sun down. His shoulders set squarely against the cold, massive service of the unmoving rock, pushing with all his might. Each night the man returned to his cabin sore and worn out feeling that his whole day had been spent in vain. Seeing that the man was showing signs of discouragement, Satan decided to enter the picture, placing thoughts into the man's mind such as, you've been pushing against that rock for a long time and it hasn't budged. Why are you killing yourself over this? You're never going to move it. Thus giving the man the impression that the task was impossible and that he was an utter failure. These thoughts discouraged and disheartened the man even more. Why well, kill myself over this, he thought. I'll just put in my time, give the minimum effort, and that'll be good enough. And that he planned to do until one day he decided to make it a matter of prayer. And he took his trouble and his thoughts to the Lord. Lord, I've been laboring long and hard in your service, putting all my strength to do what you've asked. Yet after all this time, I haven't moved that rock a half a millimeter even. God didn't answer. The man decided to go to a nearby town and talk to a minister about his trouble. As he was walking to the town, he had to pass a mine. 
As he got close to the mine, he could see something happening around the shaft of the mine. He ran to see what was happening, and he came to find out that several men were trapped when a huge rock fell from the roof of the mine, and everything they had tried to move, the rock failed. The man, without thinking, ran into the mine, found the rock, and with one huge push, the rock gave way, and the men rushed to freedom. The man had, had saved the lives of those faithful. He was able to lead many of them to Christ that day. He never made it to town, but that night as he was praying, God finally spoke to him and said, You see, son, I never asked you to move the rock in front of your cabin, only to push it. Now look at yourself. Your arms are strong and muscled. Your back sinewed and brown. Your hands are calloused from constant pressure, and your legs have become massive and hard. Through opposition, you have grown much, and your abilities now surpass which you used to have. While you didn't move the rock, you did exactly what I asked you to do. And because of that, you had the strength to do exactly what I created and called you to do. So you're struggling with a mountain in front of you. And you have no idea where to begin. And the worship team has prepared a song today that says, Come to the altar. Father's arms are open wide. The beginning of the moving of your mountain starts with the worship of your king. Putting him in perspective again. And if there's anybody here struggling with that today, and you've been doing things on your own, what we're going to do is we're going to have a time where we're going to have an anointing of oil um, that if anybody wants to come up here and uh, you need prayer and you want to receive the anointing of oil for the struggle that you're going through. Just come on up and I'll just ask you real quick, what do you need prayer for? Well, anoint your head with oil. We're going to pray over you. Whatever the struggle is. Father in heaven, we just love you so much. We are thankful that you are the one that does the heavy lifting. You always have. You always will. And nobody does it like you. God, we just love you and thank you. Father, if there are those struggling today, let them not stay where they're at. Let's get out of our comfort zones, Lord, and let's see some mountains moved. Let's see great faith exercised in believing that you are exactly who you say you are and you can do the things that you say you can do. Great are you, Lord, and worthy of our praise.